At one time, the person came to me for counseling, right? Came to me for counseling, and then he and I, you know, the person and I are there, and then this person is engrossed into cell phones. <laughs> yeah, while I'm talking even. While I'm talking, you know? And I'm not even trying beforehand, but while I'm talking, while the serious conversation going on, and just take out the phone and they have to, without even telling me anything. I mean, I don't take, I didn't take it personal, but you don't even realize how addicted you are. And I was addicted to ministry. I was addicted to pleasing people. And so whenever somebody calls, even if in the, in the middle of eating, you know, dining time, I would get a call. And when kids are growing up and they would get mad at me, and my, especially my daughter, Dad, you can't do that, which is really into quality time. You know what I mean? Thank God that I had two daughters who could challenge me in a way that I had to listen. <laughs> I had to listen. It's a good thing. When you're learning, when you're able to humble before your kids, even though it's painful, it hurts your ego, but it's a good thing. You know why God has given us children? You know why God has given us children? Huh? Because that's the only way we learn. And so learn from your children. And I came, from, I came to realize in my life that my kids are better than me. I always tell my kids, you guys are better than me. At least I did something good. You guys are better than me. We're progressing. <laughs> that, means, that means I'm going to have to learn from them as well. You know? And then as long as I, I get defensive and offensive, it's not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and addiction, the problem with me was this. I want to tell you, problem with me, my kind of addiction, had to do with, in my, had to do with my unconscious realization, unconsciously in my mind, family is not a place to be fulfilled. And so then you look elsewhere to be fulfilled. You go outside of home to be accepted and to be valued and praised and, and be you know, be in touch with your own sense of value and so forth. How worked and how, you know, messed up that is, right? And so we're going to talk more about that. And that's why we already have this pattern without us realizing that, you know, family is a place where there's a lot of sickness and you grew up thinking, realizing that it's, it's you know, not only you have, it's not that you have homesick, you're sick of home. Then you don't come home being proactive about meeting your needs and meeting the needs of family, being home by being what? Present. We're going to talk about that later too, what it means to be present. It is one thing, you know, man, God has given man a special ability. It can be an ability. While somebody's talking to you, you can listen and all that. And while you listen and all that, you, you can be somewhere else. That's right. Especially those phones. Right? <laughs> and then my tells me, I told you those things. Oh, no, I never heard of that. <laughs> and so we need to learn to be present. 
Because otherwise, we, we have all kinds of addiction in our life, even the good things, helping other people as well. It can be a good thing, and yet allow that to be an escape in our lives. Mm. You know the people with the problem with hoarding? They cannot, they cannot like, you know, give up certain things, clean out the house. They, they are holding on to everything. And you know why they do that? They do that they, because they have a false sense of intimacy with all those things that they gathered. You see? Sex addicts, false sense of intimacy. Even phones, cell phones can give you a false sense of intimacy. You feel what? Connected. As long as you're responding to somebody, talking to somebody, you feel connected while, and you try to replace that Techno, you know, technological connection with a void that cannot be filled up because your relationship with your spouse and children is totally disconnected and therefore you try to have that false sense of connection and intimacy with things that will not satisfy. Amen? Amen. And secondly, what gives you anger is a lack of primary attachment, attunement. We talked about that. Attachment, a connection. The primary connection as a, as, a, as a you know, child being in mother's womb. We talked about that, which is very much needed. And then attunement is so important that somebody, your mother and father are there to what? Uh, to empathize with you, to join with you. When you're sad, they join in your sorrow and so forth. That's, that's, that's what attunement, being in tune with you. When you don't have that, you develop void and emptiness. And then that void, that place of void is filled with anger. Physical touch is very important. It is no wonder God gives an adult, not only children. They said that in order for a child to thrive, they need about eight hugs a day. <laughs> and don't you think that adult needed it as well? We need it. That's why God gave Adam and Eve sexuality, to be physically in touch. That's why I like, you know, shaking the hands of people. It's one thing for me to say hi and greet. It's funny thing happened is that in, in, in Asian culture, in American culture, I don't know, physically you guys are more, you know, you guys are freer than Asians, right? We have some interesting, interesting, you know, uh, patterns in Asian culture where I go to the, uh, you know, airport, and then as long as my loved ones are far away, their body language is freer, like, like hi, whatever. And as soon as they come really close, then they become very awkward and <laughs> their body just really frozen and to a point where you shake hands and then I, I find it interesting. Everybody, everybody like a military, turn and then go out to the gate, you know? <laughs> and it's just like automatic, you know what I mean? We don't know what to do with what being, being close to people. Mm -hmm. So when I first came, when I saw people hugging and everything, oh wow, this is... This must be a Christian country. <laughs> Without realizing that there's a lot of isolation here as well. You may say, how are you? But you're not really meaning it, right? So one time I tried to play a joke in the seminary. Somebody asked me, how are you? 
and I'm going to play a joke early in the morning. I tried something really terrible. Don't do that, okay? So somebody said, how are you? I said, in a quieter voice, my mother just passed away. Oh, great, have a great time, fine. <laughs> he didn't even hear me. And then I was actually being rude to that person. You don't open up your heart to somebody when somebody asks, how are you, which is only a cliche. When somebody asks you, how are you, how would you supposed to respond? You don't say terrible. You say what? Fine, Fine or not bad, interesting, not bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah, cliche to cliche. It's not time to really open up your hearts for that. But physical touch and, you know, attunement and attachment, it's such an important, important aspect of our lives. You know, I was talking to this guy who, who came with me uh, for this camp meeting, first time in his life. Actually, this kind of camp meeting is the first time ever in his life. He has a, you know, hearing impairment and people have a hard time listening to him. But even yesterday night, something happened that his hearing aid broke. It no longer works. So I was using like all kinds of body language and hand motions and trying to communicate with him. And then, man, at the end of our conversation, he was there until like 10.30. I made noodles for him. He loves my noodles. <laughs> he loves the way I make it, so I make him noodle every day. I'm like his wife now. <laughs> so I'm making him noodles, and then he eats those noodles, and so, I mean, I love this thing so much. I need to know how to make this thing. But it's not about, it's not about noodles. It's about being connected. And then we have body languages, and I know how to make him laugh. I know how to make him laugh. And then he's like, man, I love you so much, man. I love you. You're so much fun. Everyone, what really nourishes and nurtures us as a human being. Hey, even the animals need physical touch, right? They did a study on monkeys, and they got three monkeys together. Mother monkey, papa monkey, and baby monkey. And then they did something horrible to the mother monkey while the baby was breastfeeding and uh, being breastfed. And so they put the wires around the mother, sorry, <laughs> not you, not you, but wire around the mother except the breast part. And try to see what this baby monkey would do. Guess what he did? He would suck in the milk from the mother, from her breast, while his body was leaning toward the father who has a furry skin. Even the monkeys are created to have what? Physical touch. So I want to tell you today, don't play too tough. I don't need that. You're dying inside. You're not going to be well as a person. That's not the way we become strong. We become strong by receiving the kind of nutrients that we need, not only with physical food, but also emotionally, also physically. Man, we got to live out the creative, you know, the creation order of God. We need to follow that. 
You know what I mean? The problem with me was that like I already had so much energy. I already had so much energy with my with my temperaments, with my personality. God has given me like extra energy because I'm going everywhere. And then when I got married, man, my relationship with my wife gave me even more energy. <laughs> so without having sense of direction and lack of discipline, what would that lead to? More activity destruction. Chaos. And my wife was traumatized by that. And so, all that energy is great and wonderful. We need them. But we need to do it in a healthy way and use it in a proper way. Third one is important. Lack of bonding, dialogue, and communication. We are made to communicate. We are made to communicate. And this guy, my friend, when he realizes he cannot communicate well, he gets so frustrated. He gets so down. And first thing he said, yes, he's been enjoying camping so much. And first thing he said, I want to go home. I want to fix these things. Because we are created to communicate. And I, let me tell you something really powerful about communication, okay, with the time we have. There are five levels of communication. John Powell in his small little book called Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? It's a very small, tiny book. And from that book, I gained this insight that stays with me uh, forever. And in that book, he talks about five levels of communication. We are made to communicate, but we are made to communicate in a way that will allow us to bond deeper. We're not just created to, hey, did you have dinner? You know, the kind of conversation I had with my dad, that whenever he comes home, he has two things. Did you do your homework? <laughs> and then go to sleep. <laughs> and even though I knew that he loved me, but we didn't have much conversation with him. And whenever he tried to tell me something, it is like Ten Commandments. <laughs> Funny thing was that when I was coming to the United States, against my father's wish, my mother gave me money to come, and this is all I have. You go, and then you survive, and, you, you know, whatever you do with this money, it's, it's up to you. And then finally, I was trying to, I was getting, you know, getting into the airport, and then my father stopped me, and then he gave me a letter. First time ever received a letter from my dad. He said, when you get on the airplane, when you feel uncertain about your future and whatnot, when you have some time to yourself, read this letter. So I got really curious about that letter. I could not wait. So I put it in my pocket, but I had to obey, right? You know? And so I was up in the air. Man, that plane was going forever through darkness, right? It was dark and just going forever. I felt like it was just like, and then I remember that letter. I took out and I opened the letter. It literally looked like Ten Commandments. <laughs> Short and, you know, hit to the point. First thing he said, be watch, watchful, <laughs> watch out for women. <laughs> <laughs> He said, you need to come back to Korea, <laughs> which I failed. <laughs> and then secondly, be scarce with money because your mom, you know. 
We're made to communicate. Do you know that to this day I carry that, I, I still treasure that letter that he sent me? A few of those letters I received from my dad, even though it looked like a Ten Commandment, it's like, Lord, this is my father's handwritten letter. And he just poured out his heart in that letter for the son the way he could. We're made to communicate, and there are five levels. First level is cliche. It is the kind that you say, how are you? Fine. Many of the church members remain on that level. <laughs> Happy Sabbath! And then second level is exchange of information. Many of the guys are in that level. I heard that even the ladies are in that level when they come to church. Like, hey, did you know that Macy has like 75% sale? <laughs> it ends tonight. <laughs> so you just have to do a little bit of compromise. <laughs> you share ex informations. As husband and wife, we get together. Did you know that your mother-in-law's, you, know, um, you know, your mother's birthday is so-and-so, and then refrigerator broke down. And, Oh, we have to make that car payment or whatever. If our conversation, oh, sorry, if our conversation remains here, we're, we're remaining in, on a level of being functional. Functional is much better than being non-functional. <laughs> but that's not what we, are, what we are created to be, right? And what's interesting is that while the guys get together and talk about the weather, what happens, you see, exchange of information is a level that you do when you get on an you know, uh, escalator. All of a sudden, you, you coop into that small space. You really you know, make sure that nobody release any gas or something, you know? <laughs> you want to make sure. And then you get into that small space, and then there's somebody always break the, break the silence, right? Oh, isn't the weather wonderful? Oh, yeah, wonderful. You get out. <laughs> but a lot of times our conversation kind of remain in that level, you know? And uh, man tends to stay here forever. They don't share their heart to heart with somebody else, you know, man to man. And then thirdly, so up to this point, we can only get so far. There is no intimacy that gets created as long as we remain on these two levels. But from the third level, interesting begin to happen. You begin to get somewhere in your relationship with each other. It's called, it's called sharing a good time together. This is where the laughter comes in. This is where the humor comes in. This is where the play comes in. When you play together, when you do things together, and having so much fun, it creates the, a, a, the kind of intimacy that gets very, very bonding and healthy. I remember playing volleyball with some of our church members, and I came to realize that you know, when I studied the church in California for young adults, we only had all the singles. And all of a sudden, you know, time passed, and they had children. 
I began to attend their birthday parties. I used to do a lot of weddings, and then and then a lot of birthday parties, and then they came to a point where they could play volleyball with me, and so we got together just the four of the girls, and then me. We got together, start playing volleyball, and just basic, you know, tossing to each other without falling down to the ground. And then guess what? We did it up to sixty times, and so they got so excited. Let's do it more than hundred times. And guess what? How many times we did without ever, you know, fall, you know, yeah, falling. We did it 160 times. Wow. wow! After that, what happened? There was a sense of connection that got created. You know what I mean? Hey, this pastor is cool. He can play games with us, play ball with us. And so by the time I was about to leave, all of those girls who play volleyball with me, they came nearby my car. They were like bowing down to me like in Korean way, like, oh, pastor, you go safe. Because we felt what? Connected. Playtime equals with bonding time, not just kids, but also for the adults as well. And then it's interesting how ladies, for ladies, they get married. Ladies get married. I mean, the secular study shows that ladies get married to, to have companion and to be understood, to be appreciated. That's language that man needs to know. If you know that language, know how to say it, you don't even need to do the dishes. Your life will get much easier, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, you got to do all the dishes and then do that forever and not being appreciated. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and then in the later years, when, when a wife is popular among children, husband is always left over because he's one more person to take care of. So you, you take care of yourself. Stay home. There's food in the refrigerator. If Jesus come, I will see you in heaven, you know? You know what I'm saying? So, so you know, it is often the case that men gets left out after having done so much for the family. That's why man dies earlier. It's like no point. Women are useful till the end. That's why I learned how to cook. <laughs> As a Korean man, I learned how to cook. That's a, that's a miracle. Because I never went into kitchen before. My mother didn't allow me to go into kitchen. But when I got married, I figured things out. You know, funny thing was that my father was so powerful in his own, you know, in his own sake. Because when he came over to my house, he sat down on the dining table. As soon as he sat down, in five minutes, chopstick came, fork came, everything came, food came. All he had to do is up and down vertical exercise and eating. <laughs> and I look at my father, man, he's so powerful. Lord, help me to be like him. And then he's gone. And so I tried to emulate my father. <laughs> and sat down in a dining table in 10 minutes, even 10 minutes after, nothing was coming. <laughs> So day's gone, <laughs> out the window. <laughs> and so my daughter got married, and then I happened to go out there to spend time with them. And then being at Andrews, Michigan, I mean, Barron Springs, since I have to take, we have to take care of a lot of young people, college students, they're always hungry. Yeah. And, then, and then food talks more than anything. Yeah. So you know the way I visit people? We cook food. Yeah. 
I cook like kimchi soup this much. And then go around and giving kimchi, like making people addicted to kimchi. <laughs> and then you go around and giving them food and you know, they get connected. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna cook certain things. So I, I learned how to make certain things because our church membership from 60 to 150 went up so high that every Sabbath we have to cook and so I'm, I'm being helpful. So when I went to California, when I went to their house, my daughter was busy going, working, and he was busy, he's a lawyer, everything. And so I started to cook for them. I started cooking kimchi soup, I started to dumpling, I started to make all kinds of things that they never, my daughter never saw me making. <laughs> and then guess what happened? At the end of my visit to California, when I, they were taking me to the airport, my son-in-law was telling me, almost begging me, hey, can you come back again? <laughs> and my house is open to you anytime. Anytime. I'm willing to even give you the key. Come anytime. But I know, I know, I know, I knew what they were thinking. <laughs> you see? So, having fun, playing together, enjoying the time with each other. While the man gets married to be understood and to be appreciated, man, I mean woman, woman, man marries to have a what? Play partner. So if your husband wants you to go golfing with you or do things with you or fishing with you or anything you know, uh, that are decent things to do with you, and then you don't say, oh, I'd rather study the Bible. I'd rather do this and do that. I'm not interested in it. Just a waste of time. That really hurts the man. Because man gets connected. Have you ever seen man getting together? Hey, today, let's not play sports. sports. Let's just have a heart-to-heart -heart dialogue. <laughs> let's go sailing. Let's go. Maybe in San Francisco they do that. But uh, Excuse me for that, for that joke. Okay. <laughs> One time, one time I went to a, one time I went to a, um, the, the show, and then little did I know that that's an area where a lot of the gay people live, and then was like, I look around, like everyone's gay, and it was just like, wow, I mean, it was just amazing, and then even the movies and everything geared toward their need, and I tell you, I tell you, you know, one thing I sympathize about this whole movement is that it looks like it looks like, I mean, I want you to contextualize it. They get what they need to get in a way that, you know, may not be appropriate according to the word of God. But you know what? They may have a, I mean, just, just to talk about the, the, the fact that they, they're learning to be connected. Man, there's something that we got to learn. These people are so connected. Okay, don't, don't, don't quote me for it, okay? So we are created to be connected in that way. And then having fun and enjoying the time with each other is just so, so important. How many of you in your marriage get together? I've seen one case, like I was stopping by, I was laying over in, in uh, what is it, Arizona, and I saw these people talking. I thought they were husband and wife. I thought for sure that they were husband and wife. They were like in their late 70s or who knows. And I could tell that they're really connected. 
they were like laughing and joking, laughing, and they were just having so much fun with each other. And then, you know, since I studied that kind of thing, I almost wanted to go there and research them. <laughs> it is just so beautiful. And so I shared that, you know, story after I came back to my, you know, Korean Bible study. And then there were some senior citizens were there, and then they were telling me, Pastor, I don't think you got it right. I think they were boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> but, but anyway, okay, that's not the point. The point is, point is that God has created us to have fellowship that are so much fun, you know, and that's what allows us to come together closely. And then fourthly, I wish we had time to pair you guys off. That's what I do sometimes, pair you guys up and talk about some of the embarrassing moments in your life. I can share that, but I don't have time for it. I have some amazing story to share with you, but, but I'm not going to do that, okay? And then fourthly, so learn to be humorous, learn to enjoy each other. There's a family, there's a family where uh, Tony Campolo was a famous, famous uh, you know, preacher. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist, but famous preacher. He has so much sense of humor, and so people are asking him, oh, Pastor, where did you learn all that? How did you develop that sense of humor that you were asking? And guess what he said? He's an Italian, number one. <laughs> and then secondly, he said in his hometown in Italy as he was growing up, his father literally, seriously, would not give the kids the food until they tell some funny stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he said, this is, what, this is a catchphrase. He said, on the way home, he was trying to figure out what to say by way of pulling his hair out. Like he was trying to pulling his hair out, trying to figure things out. And in doing so, he lost all his hairs. He's <laughs> <laughs> bald. <laughs> Sense of humor is important. Can you imagine I conduct two hours of session with no fun, no jokes, and no nothing? Would you be here? Maybe not, right? And then fourthly, you know how I learned that? You know how I learned that? <laughs> By being a youth pastor. Yeah. Oh. Because I had to make it fun, right? No kids would listen to you if it's not funny. But funny thing was, when I prepared the sermon, being Korean, came to the United States, my English was bad back then. I pronounced like, when I was supposed to pronounce veggie burger, I said, Beji Booger, you know, and, and I, I, <laughs> so I had a horrible experience. I was horrified, you know, embarrassed to a, <laughs> to a level that you would not endure. But anyway, you know what, I came to a point, you know, in my, in my journey with them that I would do everything to make it fun and interesting. Funny thing was that I would prepare my sermon, and I said to myself, this point? is going to make them cry and laugh crazy. But when I got to that point, no one was laughing. <laughs> and then they're laughing at some parts that I didn't even prepare for. I didn't even think that they were. So, so that was a funny experience. And I came to a point in my journey with them, and I said, you know what? You can laugh you know, with me, but don't laugh at me. Leave laugh with me, OK? 
And even if I mispronounce certain things, laugh with me, because that's part of therapy. It's great. God is a God of humor. And then I said, I may never come to a place, even if I develop my English ability, I may never speak like you guys with a butter tongue English. <laughs> but I said, you may never come to a place where you can speak like me when it comes to <laughs> Korean. <laughs> so that was great. Fourthly, you get closer when you learn to share what's vulnerable in your heart, your own sense of vulnerability, what has been hurtful, part of sadness that you have gone through in your life, when you learn to share those kind of things, that allows you to come together in a way that nothing else can. Why? Because by this, you are able to create, which is very important, you are able to create a place of what? Security. Security. You know how marriage needs to be secure enough that you are free? You're supposed to be so secure, free to talk about anything without feeling like, oh, if I say this, he's going to get mad. He's going to throw temper tantrum and he's going to you know, withdraw. He's not going to like me. He's going to punish me. Oh, he's going to like, be offensive and defend and uh, we're going to have a fight. You need to feel secure and safe to be vulnerable, you know? And that's why when, when your spouse tells you something, then, then we got to do everything we can to create a place of what? Security and safety. So this is how I experienced it. One time my wife was telling me something that I really didn't want to hear. How many of you experienced that in your life? I heard them all before, a thousand times. How come women don't forget the things that they need to forget? How come they keep bringing up things again and again and again? What's wrong with them? Help me. You know why they do that? I realized that in my relationship with my wife, she kept bringing things up because for her, it has not been resolved. <laughs> to me, it's already been already a done deal, resolved. But women, you know, they're, they're more sophisticated in a way they, their brain is wired. Their left brain, right brain is interconnected in a way that while a man is able to separate, women are not able to separate. In other words, if the carpet's color and the wall color doesn't match, then it affects, for women, for most women, it affects their appetite. <laughs> but for men, it doesn't matter. If you're hungry, you can focus and eat. Of course, when I generalize this, there are 20% that are opposite of it. We've been created this way. You've been created this way. Nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with you. Yeah. You don't need to defend yourself. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, I look at that. When I see my wife losing her appetite, it's like, wow, that's amazing. So you don't say, hey, forget. 
you're not hungry enough. Okay, let me eat all your food. <laughs> you know, you need to starve. No, 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 no. If you're a sensitive husband, you go there and then make it straight. <laughs> did, you know that, uh, did you know that the picture on the wall is crooked? They feel like crooked. I mean, I'm exaggerating. Because women are connected in that way. And so then it takes a longer time for them to let go of things. Right? Because they're like, and, and that's the reason why they remember better. Not because women have a better brain. According to the study, man has a better brain than woman. Generally speaking. But problem with men is that we start losing about like 40,000 cells by the age of 40. And so we start losing a lot. And therefore, women, ladies, you need to be, you need to be compassionate to your husband. Because funny thing is that when there's a conflict and then when woman gets angry, man, they speak better, they talk better, and they talk faster than ever. And what happens to a man? When woman approaches a man like that, and then if that happens to a man, a man is like, number one, I don't deserve this. And then secondly, their brain freezes. And then they don't know what to say. Please, man, if you do not know what to say, don't say anything. <laughs> because whatever you say that comes out of your mouth, you're gonna get, that's going to get you in trouble. No food, no dessert, nothing. You know that woman's hysterical response to a man comes out of their passion and desire and need for connection. I remember one time my wife came up to me and said, Honey, this is what I need from you. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. And the man feels what? Man feels what? Unsafe. Well, not only woman gets hysterical and then they get historical too, right? And the man feels like, no, I don't, I don't need this. And then what happens to man? When it comes to a hysterical situation like that, men withdraw. Then they go into their own cave. Man has their own cave. They only come out when they're hungry. They need to sleep. <laughs> so we need to learn to be compassionate to each other. Vulnerable. Woman and man needs to create an environment where we can make it safe for each other. Very, very important aspects. We're going to continue, right? At 2 o'clock. Okay. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So we need to make it safe in that if a woman opens up and share her like everything and then it makes you feel like man I'm working so hard I'm trying everything to provide but this woman of mine is not appreciating who I am demanding more and more out of me I don't feel accepted I don't feel respected That's the time when you have a challenge to make it safe for her. How? How? Amazing thing happens. You don't even have to agree with her. That's the catch point. 
Man feels like if you don't agree with her, then you can't listen to her. No, 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 no. You don't have to agree with her. And you, all you can say, listening to her, all she says, and then says, Honey, I hear you. It's been, it's been really hurtful when I did this and that. Now, is that what you're saying? Even though it hurts you, even though you get personal, even though, you know, your egos is crushed and whatnot. And you see, we're no longer a slave to the emotion of somebody else. We become what? Sons and daughters of God. So our acceptance that we need, we got it from what? Jesus. We got it from God. So I can be a man to her. One time my wife came up to me and said, Honey, uh, I'm supporting you to school and all of that. Man, I'm tired and, and all that. And it, on one hand, in my mind, I was about to say, Hey, honey, you know, I'm working all my life, and now you've been a couple of years helping me. You're complaining it. Keep it up, man. <laughs> I was about to say that. But something stopped me. I said, I need to be a man. And guess what I said? Hey, honey, it must be so hard for you why don't you take a break, take a sick leave, and get some rest? As soon as I said that, she said, no, 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 I need to go back to work. <laughs> Women are called to be understood. And then to your man, you need to, we need to change the way we treat him in a way that there's certain things that will not work forever when it comes to your man. What would that be? Nagging. Nagging. <laughs> Follow after me. Why don't you nag? Look at nag, 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 nag. That's <laughs> nagging. <laughs> nagging doesn't work. Man just like zones out. Instead, we need to learn to pour out our hearts in a way that makes him feel important to me. One time my wife came up to me and said, Honey, you are the only one who can give me the connection that I need. Do you want me to go somebody else to meet that need since you're so busy? No, I want you to meet that needs. I want us to have that connection. You are the most important person in my life. Ooh, when she said that, I could not say that I'm not that important. <laughs> and I realized that, wow, to this woman, I am all that she has. We need to make it safe and secure. That book, Gary Smalley's book, will teach us of that. It's really, really valuable lessons there. Vulnerable, make it safe. And then... Fifthly, this is what I'm trying to say, is that you need to, when you are able to share your life lessons, life lessons, when you're able to share insight, insight for life, when you're able to share the stuff that you learn from your own life and you're able to open up and share those things with each other. You see, when, my, when I go back home, you know, I'm going to experience something with my wife. You know, I'm, she's, in Cal she's been in California for like 10 days and then she's going to come back on Monday. I'm going to meet her and then she's going to ask me, how was the camp meeting? Then how would usually men respond? 
Oh, it was wonderful. So how was it? It was great. How was it? It was amazing. How was it? Well, it's hard to tell you all that happened. You need to kind of be there to learn all that. You know, I came back from Africa, and then my wife asked me. I was like, great, amazing, wonderful, you know. You got experience for yourself. But that's not the way woman talks. Man, when it comes to conversation, we go from A to what? Z. Z. But when it comes to woman, A to B, B to C, but then some woman, A to A dash. <laughs> women are detailed, right? I can give you all the illustrations, but we need to learn how to talk and in our relationship with our spouse, especially with our wives, you know, with our wives. So, so I learned that lesson. So I, came, I went to Korea. I was supposed to go out with my brother. And then I kept talking to my wife on the phone. And she, he thought that I would finish in five minutes. But I kept talking. I kept talking. kept talking. And then my brother came in. And he was like laughing a little bit. Oh, man, my brother is gone. You know, <laughs> that's not brother I know. And I tell you, my wife taught me so much about what it means to communicate. In this realm of communication, women almost need to be a coach. And men really needs to be coached because we do not know how to do those kind of conversations. But when I learned how to communicate with my wife the way I did, it revolutionized my ministry because I learned how to be heart to heart with people. You know, people would come to me. I'm not bragging about anything. People would come to me. You've experienced it. You know, people would come to me to pray, and I only have a couple minutes with them, and then they're already in tears and crying. How do you know, Pastor? You already know my heart. I feel already connected with you. Women are given with this amazing, amazing ability to connect. And therefore, they have this innate desire to be connected on that level with your husband. But be patient, make it safe, and coach him without controlling him, without expecting things. Tell him that he's the most important person in your life. You know what? When man feels that he's the most important person in her life, man feels like he is on the top of the world. Amen? Amen. Making it safe. And whatever, the last thing I was saying, sharing insight of life. Instead of just sharing about the days, but what you learn and, you know, kind of wisdom you gain. Therefore, this is the key point. In order for, for our communication to go really deeper, deep, on the deepest level, the deepest level of communication is something that we experience on a spiritual level. That's a spiritual realm. That's why if you were to have a even you know, meaningful and bonding and explosive kind of even sexuality, I don't have time to talk about sexuality. That will wake everybody up, but, you know, I don't have time for that. But in order for us to be truly bonded, even, even in an intimate relationship as husband and wife, 
what's gonna take is more than physical ability and skills techniques but what's gonna take is the kind of bonding that God wants us to have as humanity heart to heart and that is on a what spiritual level so I want to challenge each and every one of you to come together spiritually it's so important by sharing your values together, by sharing your precepts and understanding of God together. You know what? I mean, as, as my husband and wife, as husband and wife, my wife and I get together. We've been married 30, 32 years. How much time you can spend sharing about your emotions for each other? I love you. She said, I love you. And she said, I, said, I love you. I, I know. I love you. <laughs> you mean a lot to me. I know you mean a lot to me. You mean the whole world to me. Can you imagine just saying that for day, even though you need to say that every day? But there's so much you can say emotionally, right? But when it comes to God, man, there's just so much to talk about. God, talk about life. You know, I mean, my kids love to hear, hear me about like how I grew up and all that stuff going on. When I share about the lesson that I learned from my life, you know, when I share about the Bible and the, and the insights that the Bible has, I mean, my wife and I get together and then, you know, like almost like a couple of times a, a, a week and we study the Bible together. That's how I, how I started to date her. Because I didn't know English very well. I said, hey, can you teach me English? <laughs> And then I chose the book called Desire of Ages. <laughs> That's a dangerous book. Desire of Ages. <laughs> and I tell you, we, got to, we are made and created to meet, not on a superficial and functional level, but on a deeper spiritual level. Being spiritual is not a spooky thing. Being spiritual is not just a matter of quoting the scripture, which stays right and wrong even though it's all part of it. Being spiritual is about integrating the Word of God into my life and share what that means to me, how it affects me, how it changes me, how it allows me to be in touch with who I am and share that with each other. Man, that's just like blossoming. And we pray together. Study shows that in, even in terms of sexual fulfillment, they said that people over 60 years old as among Christians, they experience the most kind of satisfaction even in their intimate relationship. So if you have not reached 60, you haven't even started yet. <laughs> Amen? There's a realm where, where we need to meet each other on a spiritual level. I cannot emphasize that too much. Okay, let's move on. Sense of rejection, isolation, sad that that has been internalized. We all know that. Lack of accomplishment, lack of transcendent purpose allows you to have this kind of anger and you know, void and emptiness in your life. Uh, Maslow's has, a, has, Maslow has this need hierarchy where you, know, you start with meeting your basic needs, shelter and food and all that, and then a basic need for belongingness, friendship, and then thirdly, on top of that, on top of the need hierarchy, there is a need that would allow you to fulfill yourself, self-realization. But get this. After he developed that you know, hierarchy, need hierarchy, he became very famous. All the books, psychological books were quoting him and all that. And then 15 years before he died, he came to realize something that he never realized. He said, whoa, there's something more to it than just being fulfilled with myself. 
There's something more that would be more satisfying. You know what that was? It was too late for him to put that on the need hierarchy. And he came to realize that there's something that is higher than meeting my own needs and me, me being happy in my relationship with my wife and with my spouse and with family. But he says, human being is created by God in such a way that we are made to be fulfilled by pursuing something beyond ourselves. It's called transcendent purpose of God. Amen? So my wife and I are created as a couple to pursue the transcendent purpose of God to be fulfilled. Okay, let's talk briefly about, I don't have a lot of time, let's talk briefly about second point, okay? Symptoms of anger self. You may not realize that you have been angered. You know what I mean? And so though I have to be very specific. Why? What are some of the symptoms that we can detect that would tell us that we may have been anger-based. So these are some of the symptoms, okay? Number one, when anger, when anger escalates without being able to what? You know, catch it beforehand. When you allow your anger to escalate, when somebody tells you something, your wife tells you something, your husband tells you something, kids telling you something, then you find yourself getting like, you know, escalate your anger like that. Then, then it is obvious that you are what? Anger-based. You need to realize that I'm anger-based. And that there are things that triggers you. This is, this is amazing. There are things that triggers your anger. Did you know that we are created in such a way that we are growing like uh, we're growing roots in our brain? And then each cell can have 20,000 roots that are growing. And then there's a bitter roots and anger roots have grown in our brain for the past like 20 years. I met a girl who had been growing anger for 20 years. Little did I know that whenever I preach, whenever I raise my voice in my preaching, she would get mad at me. And on the way out, she would like throw a temper tantrum, pastor, that was a terrible sermon or something like that. Or she would tell me like, I hate your voice. And, I, I couldn't figure this girl out. We Koreans are like, what did you eat wrong? You know, it's almost like, you know. And, and so my wife was like, just leave her alone. She's, she's mad at the whole world. Just leave her alone. Little did I know that she was suffering from anger-based personality disorder almost. And so I moved from that church. I went to a new church. And then all of a sudden, as I was preaching, that anger-based lady was coming into my church. <laughs> so quickly, I lowered my voice. And I finished my sermon. And then she came with somebody else. And then she wanted to see me. And she said, Pastor, don't you remember me? Of course I remember you. <laughs> And she said, I'm sure you remember me because I got, I got really mad at you all the time. I was nasty to you. And deep inside, oh, well, this lady knows. <laughs> but sometimes pastors have to fake, like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, forgive me. <laughs> and then this lady goes, no, I'm sure you remember. I came here to tell you. That was like long after, three years afterwards. I came here to tell you that 
that I needed your forgiveness. Mm. And I said, why? Why now? <laughs> and she said, Pastor, little did I know. Little did I know why I got mad at you. You know, you're a nice pastor, but I don't know. Whenever you preached, I got mad, and I went to counseling, and I came to realize something amazing. She said, I came to realize that when you raise up your voice in preaching, get excited and all that, your voice sounds exactly like my father. So I said, tell me about your father. My father has an alcohol problem. Whenever he drinks, and he would yell, and he would scream, and he would hit. And I think almost even in mother's womb, I must have heard his voice. And even in mother's womb, I must have thought in my mind, I hate that voice. When I get out, I'm going to make that guy miserable. <laughs> because he said all he remembered all throughout his life, he said he's been mad at his father. And he said, I'm so sorry. Sorry, your voice was a problem. But pastor, I'm healed. I got better. And she said, I'm going to ask you something. Can you conduct the marriage ceremony for us? I said, I'm not sure. What if you get mad, man, you know? She said, no, no, no. I told you, I'm healed. She got married. And later on, I saw her having two kids. Pastor, can you imagine if I haven't been able to unstuck myself from being stuck. Can you imagine me being stuck still? Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Amen. We all have these triggering points. We need to know what triggers you. You see, when your anger root has grown this much, it doesn't take a lot. Somebody even just come to you and say, even your wife, you know, come to you and your, your mother comes to you and your daughter and mother comes to you, honey, just have a dinner. Hey, if I'm hungry, I'm going to go and eat, okay? Well, whoa, where did that come from? See, we all have this triggering point. We need to know that. We need to, we need to know what it takes, and we need to know how we get triggered, and we need to allow ourselves to catch ourselves beforehand. Amen? And then when words and actions are destructive, this is important, when words and actions are negative and destructive, we are anger-based. In other words, I have nothing good to say, but always have some critical things to say about everything. Then I'm what? Then I'm what? Anger-based. Are you with me? And then, this is important. Third one is huge. When one becomes abusive to your own immediate family members, while he or she is so nice to other people, to bend back and forth, even go out there, fix the plumbing issue with somebody else while your toilet is overflowing. Is that dysfunctional or not? Why? Why? Because 
you're lacking substance in your life. What gives substance in our lives is the connection that I have with my wife and with my kids and with my husband. Because you know what? In the end, when trouble comes, all of those people whom you help, they're gone. They're not there. The people with the plumbing problem you help them with, while you neglect your family, no matter how much your family has, no matter how much we have neglected our family members and so forth, in the end, on a deathbed, when I'm needing help, it's not those people that are going to come around. Who are going to be there? Your family member. I've seen a lot of cases where, like, uh, one spouse would be like husband, let's, you know, has been dysfunctional, has, has had led of such a, you know, horrendous life, and then, and then end up losing one's health, and then finally, what? Coming back home sick. And yet, ultimately, it's the family that will take care of you. The fullest thing, the fullest thing we can do, I've done that. I've been foolish too. The fullest thing I can do is to be nice to others beyond and above while we neglect and while we mistreat and while we even abuse or being indifferent to our own family members. That tells you volume as to the kind of dysfunction, I mean dysfunction and, and then kinds of addiction and also tells you the kind of void that we have in our lives. That kind of void, trying to fill it outside of home, will never ever get fulfilled. Overly bending back and forth to the others while utterly neglecting your own family, showing hospitality to others while neglecting to meet the basic needs of the family, unconsciously try to meet the unmet need. This is, this is, this is really, 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 really powerful stuff. Unconsciously try to meet the unmet needs of the childhood through acknowledgement, praise, and attention of others instead of allowing the family relations to heal and fulfill you. Wow. I've been there. Nevertheless, in the end, it is the family. Number four, consistently and extremely negative and unnecessarily critical of other people's accomplishments. I talked about it. Even in the good things. Even after you come back from a uh, you know, beautiful wedding, you will always have some negative things to say about it. Yeah. And then, then I may be anger-based. Number five, overly sensitive does have to have a tendency to overreact to almost everything. How many of you, how many of you receive a praise from other people nine times out of ten, and then you more over that one criticism that you receive and you can't get over and you lose your sleep? Some of us do that, right? Perfectionistic people. We have to get everything right, and then we tend to dwell on those things, and we tend to be that person, to be critical of others. Number six, exhausted even before you even start anything. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, you know why anger is so bad in our lives? We're not talking about righteous indignation. We're talking about the kind of anger that's brewing in our brain, in our mind, in such a way that we, we, we become unhappy and so forth. And then what anger does in our lives 
so destructively, a couple of things. Number one, the anger takes away the privilege and the joy of living the moment. Yeah. When I'm anger-based, I'm always, I'm always based on my past. I'm reliving the past. Okay? As long as I'm reliving the past, I'm not able to live the moment, and therefore I don't have life. Whoa. Whoa. So this anger issue really uh, needing to be really dealt with. You know? And what happens with the anger is that just having that anger within you without doing anything takes so much energy out of you. Even though when you get angry, when you get angry, so angry, you're so angry and you're explosive and you try to calm yourself down and then you say to yourself, I better do something constructive. And then you end up cleaning the kitchen and then you come out like, wow, everything's shining. So, you know, anger has an energy, but then if you harbor on those energy, unless we channel it rightfully, what happens is that it sucks the energy out of you and in the end, anger-based person end up being exhausted and then end up being depressed as well. It all correlated together. Okay? Therefore, we need to save our energy on something that's constructive and positive and healthy. Amen? How many times we use our energy on, on you know, feeling guilty about the past and then worrying about the future? My aunt, is a, is a, she has a PhD in worries. <laughs> and then she, she, she heard the sermon one day. She came home and said, oh, wow, pastor says not to worry. And then now she has one more worry to worry about. <laughs> Worry about the fact that she worries too much, right? <laughs> and then apathetic, you become apathetic, emotionally drained out, unable to cry, shed tears, lack of attunement, and all that. And source of anger. Let's briefly talk about it. One thing I want to talk about, source of anger, is when your childhood is taken away from you. The joy of being a child. That's why... When a child grow up in a single mother home or single father home, I'm not saying that can't be done, but when a child growing up in the single parent family or a child growing up in a family where parents fighting all the time. You know, my mother, my wife had that experience as a child growing up. Her parents didn't get along. And they were especially fighting when they were in the car. And the mother got so mad, and then she was trying to, like, get out, and it gets dangerous. And my wife was telling me that she was in the middle behind the back seat, and she was trying to, like, trying to, like, you know, trying to mend their relationship. And then you internalize those things, and you start worrying about your parents. You start carrying that wound and carrying the burden of the happiness of their parent, your parents. Then, then it becomes so huge that your childhood is taken away from you. When you feel like you lost your childhood because of having to worry about your parents and so forth, and then that, takes, that makes you really angry. Then you become really anger-based. 
One time, a, a young man who was in his 30, he was 35. And then what happened was that he and, you know, his mother and father didn't get along, so they separated. They didn't legally separate, but they're just like physically separated. So this man always, this son always had this burden of caring for both, trying to mend their relationship, but coming to realize that it's impossible. And so then what happened is that this mother, whom, who did not get the connection that she needed from her husband, and she was trying to side with her son to get the emotional connection that she was supposed to get from her husband, and ended up creating your first son as a what? Mama's boy. Is there a mama's boys in Western culture too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he became mama's boy, so much so that this mother would follow him everywhere he goes with a video camera. She didn't know what she was doing. And she even came to the retreat that I was there to conduct, and then he was reading out and everything. And then one time his mom came and asked him something, and I happened to notice it. His mom asked for something casual, and then I saw the look on his face. He was angry. He was like, <sighs> he was angry. And no wonder he remained as single. He was a mama's boy, Epidoro. He was married to his mother out of his own choice. So what did I do? I had to confront him. I said, you know what? Did you know that you're an anger-based person? You're anger-based? No, I don't have any. No, I saw that look on your face. You're dynamic. You are, you are a saint when it comes to us. We love you. But when it comes to your relationship with your mom, I know that now that you feel on your gut level that your life is, whole life is taken away from you and therefore you are like mad at the whole world toward your mom. And I saw that look. Oh, really? Oh, wow. No wonder I get depressed and I get sad. And I really... I'm really burdened for my parents, and I'm tired of it. And guess what happened? First son, while he was carrying all the loads of uh, you know, mother and father, the second son, look at the whole scenario. They say, you know, I have nothing to do with it. You know what? When I go to college, I'm going to choose a college far away. I'm going to marry somebody far away. I'm going to stay far away. So he's gone. And then this son is and he couldn't get away. Mother was chasing after him everywhere. And he, she even had a plan to you know, have a house just right nearby him or live with him, even after he gets married. Boy, it took us almost more than a year to allow them to have a healthy separation without being disconnected. Anyway. This is a real issue. You know, one thing I want to tell you, when, you, when your children get married, when you have a boy or girl, when you have a girl, you can expect more from her. But when you have a boy, my father said, expect only 5%. <laughs> 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 and, 
And then actually my mother does it right in that, you know what, when it comes to children, don't expect anything but their happiness. My mother is amazing. My mother, stepmother, I, I never call her stepmother, she's my mother. It would be so sad when I found out that she's no longer with us, be with us. Whenever I go to California, I spend time with her, she still cooks for me. And then her Korean food is one of the best of the best. It just feeds my soul. And I meet with her. And then, you know, when it comes to, um, when it comes to, you know, my mother, she's an amazing woman. I don't know how she does that. Sometimes I don't call her in three weeks and four weeks and I call her. I tell you, you know, honestly, she doesn't use reverse psychology. She doesn't know anything like that. So when I call her, Mom, sorry, I have not been able to call you. You know, I've been thinking about you. And then my mom goes, hey, son, 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 you, I, I gave you to the Lord, and you're doing God's work. Don't call me. You don't have to call me. <laughs> and I tell you, that makes me want to call her even more. <laughs> we need to let go of our children in a way that we do not want to give them any unnecessary burdens in their lives. But I want to tell you, your happiness, your unhappiness, your, your unhappiness in marriage happens to be the greatest source of hurt and woundedness and burden in their lives. Be happy in your marriage, even for the sake of your children. Because that's what they need to see Amen. in both of you. Amen? Amen? You know, whenever my kids see my wife, you know, this time my wife went out and she was giggly, having fun, you know, like, like kids are like calling me, texting me, hey, dad, you know, you did a great job. You know, mom is like happy, you know. They want to see us being happy. And I pray that we would give our children the blessing of happiness in marriage, in this world of brokenness. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's move on. Let's move on, okay? Let's talk about some healing process. Um, there's so much to talk about. Let's talk about healing, okay? Let's talk about healing. Move on. And it's already all there. Healing strategies. Face-to-face -face with your neglected self and rejected self, acknowledge and gain an understanding. Gain an understanding that, okay, I, have ne I may have been neglected, I may have been rejected. But you know what? When it comes to it, we, we come to realize it when we really dig deep into it. You know the lady? You know the lady I told you about? The lady whose mother left her like three months as a baby? And she came to find out that her mother never ever left her on her own choice. She was framed in such a way that the father's family took the baby away. And then the mother was looking for the baby all her life. When she came to realize that she gained a new understanding about sense of rejection. But of course, all story doesn't end that way. There is a literal sense of rejection and preference and then parents, you know, preferring one child over, over the other, you know, favoritism, all that has been there. 
if you grew up in a conflictual family, uh, that becomes a burden for you. Um, number two, beware of the come to terms with this symptom, entitlement. Entitlement, I want to talk to you about this. When you were growing up, when you felt like your childhood was taken away uh, in terms of finding joy and happiness in your life because you had to worry about your parents, your mother left you for another man, you know what I mean? Your mother left you for another man when you were growing up as teenagers. How worse it can get. You know, as a girl, she, she was going through puberty. She was going through change. She needed a mother to talk about whatever the change that she experienced in her body. She had no one to talk to. So she had to grow up by herself. And then she was building this not only resentment and rejection, but she was building this interesting psychology called entitlement. Guess what happened? The mother came back repented and all that, came back to the family. And I saw the mother serving already the grown-up daughter who's married with a couple of kids. I saw the mother out of her own broken, out of own you know, repentance and all that. She wanted to mend the relationship. She wanted to sort of make up for it even though she couldn't. And she was serving for the family, serving for the daughter's family in a way that she was like serving like a slave. And yet, the daughter was never, ever get satisfied. Still unhappy, still miserable, and she was going through depression. So I had to tell her that you have issues with entitlement and you have nothing to entitle now having grown up and so forth I want to tell you something this may be a shocking news for you if there is a bank account it's an emotional bank account it's called EBA <laughs> In your emotional bank account, some people have plus account. But unfortunately, some people have minus account. Ivan Nazi, Ivan Nazi is a famous uh, psychologist. He talks about this reality, and I think it's very telling. You have minus account as a child growing up. When you have this emotional deficit, in your bank account, in that there's just so much minus. It is, like, it is like your body just depleted of energy so much and to a point of exhaustion that you almost need to take injection to come back to normal. You know what I'm saying? And so then in this kind of you know, minus bank account, then you come to marriage. How do you come to marriage? You come to marriage if you're thinking in your fantasy island, man, our God has given me a man who will meet all of my unmet needs of the past. And she will be so happy. And it didn't take long. Sometimes on a wedding day, <laughs> you find out that your husband can never satisfy or make up for the unmet needs of the past. Right. No one except Jesus. No one. And then, 
when we are in this minus state of being, then it is like a jar that is broken at the bottom. No matter how much you pour in, what happens? It's always, always minus. And then while you're, you're remaining minus, you, you can blame at the whole world and all that. Nothing works. And that's why entitlement is not going to work. And then we need to take this minus state of being to Jesus and allow Jesus to feel it in a way that no one can. And we need to release our husband from having to meet those needs and then give him the freedom and declaration of independence. <laughs> now you're released from having to meet all of my unmet needs of the past, and my expectation for you is unrealistic, and therefore I'm letting go of all of those unrealistic expectations. I'm letting you free. When you allow your husband to be free, what, what does he do? Oh, finally, thank God. He comes right back serving you. Funny thing is that when you expect something in your marriage, even if it's a, it's a rightful thing, you're right of, you know, all that, when you expect something, then you may never get there. And when you don't expect anything and yet enjoy giving, while you allow the other person to be free from any obligation, any, any duties. It's kind of tricky. We let go, but enjoy giving. Then what happens is that in the end, you get more than you ever, ever expected. When the other person comes around. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it is important for us to be graced by God to be a giver and never ever expect to receive from the other person because you have received so much from the Lord. So that's a resource. Since you have received so much from the Lord vertically, you always overflow in your life. You have something to give. Amen? You know, in our marriage, like I told the guy, there's a guy who says, like, you know what, when I, is it my phone? Sorry. I told the guy, when he came home, house was messy. He worked all day, came home, wife was taking care of kids, and what did you do all day? And the series are all over the place. I went to their house, series are all over the place. <laughs> what are you doing? He's so hungry, he, she didn't even make dinner. <clears throat> So how do you break that vicious cycle? Because on his own end, he deserved better, worked hard, at least deserved a decent meal, dinner. And then wife goes, Pastor, I, I don't feel like cooking for this man. I mean, he just treat me like a slave. And therefore, like whenever I cook, I get mad and angry. I almost want to put something poisonous, you know? <laughs> so it's better for me not to cook. You know how people rationalize? <laughs> so how do you break the vicious cycle of relationship? I'm just asking you a question. I don't have the answer. Just kidding. 
<laughs> okay, let's move on and finish number three, understanding the trigger point. And we talked about define, provide new meaning into your story. We talked about that, right? Create a support system around you, including counseling. Very much needed it. When you don't get what you need to get from your marriage, don't walk away, but learning to meet that needs, even from counseling. You know, like, woman has amazing needs when it comes to, like, communication. You know, they, they are, like, they need to be, like, really joined in, right? Men can kind of sit down and chat and talk while they watch movies and they can talk, you know, they can talk. But women, when they talk, what do they do? They just look at each other. Sometimes they're holding hands, you know. My uncle, my uncle is funny. My uncle, when I look back, was a really modernized man because he knew how to talk to a woman. If it wasn't, if it didn't become a Christian, it would have been dangerous. But my my uncle knew how to talk to women. So in my family, while everybody, all the women in my family, were afraid of my father. <laughs> whenever he comes home, everybody kind of walks away. And whenever he comes, my uncle comes, everybody gather. I remember those times. My aunts and my mother, everybody walks, you know, sit around him, talking to him. I'll say in Korean. So whenever they say something, now I look back. My uncle knew the language of ladies. Because they would talk, and then my uncle is like, Oh, mama, 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 yeah, Kuresani, yeah, like that. If you understand Korean. And like, wow, I understand, I feel it, wow. So, if you don't get the kind of connection that you need and be able to talk and in a safe environment, maybe you need counseling. You need a support system with other women. Get together and talk, not just talk bad about your husband, please. <laughs> and then create a room for self-care, self-expression. Do things that you love doing. Take time with God. Nurture yourself. Exercise. Create a, you know, develop sense of humor, positive energy. You got to have positive energy about you because when you succumb into all, all your unmet needs of the past and, and unmet needs of your relationship with your husband and wife and all that, then we become negative. We become drained out. We end up having this negative energy about us. And then even, not even my husband and my wife doesn't want to be with you because, oh, whoa, that's like, even the kids, like, when they look at you, oh, whoa, 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 my mom takes the energy out of you by just looking at her. <laughs> that's why we need to build positive energy about us. To do that, we need to let go of those angers and all that. It's, it may take the professional helps. So much for that. Everything else is self-explanatory. I'm going to end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to move on, okay? Let's move on because everything else is self-explanatory. Remove stumbling blocks that gets in the way of building intimacy, fear. Uh, oh, we all have strong suits. You know what strong suits are? Like, I am sick. I'm sick. I'm tired. That's a strong suit that you use to make an excuse for everything. I am weak. I'm not strong. Your sickness can be your strong suits that you use. Oh, I have a headache. Well, as soon as you have a headache, then okay, okay. We all have our own strong suits, and that can get in the way of building a healthy relationship. Um, 
everything else self-explanatory. Let's move on to talk about depression. Okay. Again, I'm not an I'm not a I'm not a doctor, you know, medical doctor. I'm not I'm not in that field. But I'm just purely speaking from my own, uh, you know, empirical experiences. I read many books and I studied a lot about depression because depressions are everywhere. So many people are struggling with it. I remember one time. We didn't even know that this person was depressed. Actually, that person came to my Bible study a long time ago while I was learning about all this. This person came to me for Bible study. All of a sudden, this person showed up, non-SDA person. And then she kept asking a question. What happened, Pastor, if, if somebody commits suicide, would he or she would go to heaven? You know, that's a tough question. It's like, well, you know, you never know what happens in the end between you and God. You know, we could talk like that. And then, well, you know, suicide is not, you know, is not acceptable to God. And, you know, I mean, we talk what we could. And then one time we went to a dinner table. We were, we were supposed to eat something really yummy. And everyone was gobbling up. And then this lady was like, Meditating, it's like taking one bite at a time, didn't even start much. Two weeks later, she was gone. And we searched for her. I didn't even know where she lived. I mean, we just got to know her, just barely. And then found out, found out. That she committed suicide. She was extremely, extremely depressed. I can tell you case after cases. And I came to realize, and it hit home to us as well, in that depression is something that we all need to be aware of. And there's a part that medical doctors play a role, but I'll be speaking from my own experience. Whenever the depressed patient comes to me, they come to me for counseling. Because they said nothing works. You know, they, they try to do what the doctor tells them to do. They try medications and all that. It only helps certain point, and, then, and yet it doesn't really resolve the issues, and they come, they come. You know, a lot of times when I had a counseling center in California, uh, you know, they said one lady came up to me and said, Pastor, you know, I am so depressed. Well, how do you know you're so depressed? Because I no longer like to do the things that I used to enjoy. Even my you know, psychiatrist told me I'm depressed. And she's like a 30-something lady with two little beautiful you know, kids. And then, Pastor, I used to enjoy going out and taking them out to the you know, McDonald's. I used to enjoy taking them out to dinner or taking them out to the shopping. And I no longer want to do any of those things. And guess what she said? What she said afterwards was very, very telling. She said, Pastor, I don't know where I'm going. I, my life is so meaningless. Whoa. I must tell you, underneath of depression, underneath of any human dysfunction or illness, there is a spiritual needs that have not been met. Let me explain what that means. And I'm not going to, uh, since the lack of time, 
I'm not going to necessarily follow everything in the syllabus. It is self-explanatory, but I'm going to just share with you some of the important things. Did you know that you and I are created by God to have these two major needs in our life? When you and I say that we are made to be spiritual, we're talking about two basic needs that are spiritual on the realm of spirituality. Number one, we have a need to find meaning in our lives. We also have a need to have direction in our lives. Meaning is none other than meaning has nothing to do with figuring out things psychologically or philosophically. We're not talking about philosophical, you know, meaning. We're talking about a very practical and ontological meaning, I should say. Which means that all of us as a humanity, whether we believe in God or not, you and I have a need to, what, is, what do you think is the most important meaning that we all are seeking after? Pardon? We already talked about purpose here. So meaning has to do with to love and to be loved. That's what meaning of life is all about. We all have a need to love and to be loved. And so then if we fail in this area of life, of love, we're not going to be fulfilled. We're not going to do well. You know? But... What's really telling about human reality is this. You may agree with me in that what we need the most, what we need the most is an area where we are messed up the most. Right? What we need to love and to be loved, it is an area where we have a lot of dysfunction and then why is it not that easy? Why is it so difficult to love and to be loved? We fight for it and we do everything we can. We manipulate, we do all kinds of things and yet we don't seem to get what we need and we only tend to make it worse. Why? Because I have another series of messages that, that they to tell me is that as much as we want to love, we desire to love, desire is there. And that desire is warped and twisted to a point where either it becomes lust, lust is all about getting, love is all about giving. And while we try to get and thinking that we're getting this is the way to love? No. But in this area of love, while it either turns into lust, or we are in this place of confusion, total confusion about love, and then we try to love the way that we've been loved, and that's not the way of love, and therefore, not only we are ignorant, my conclusion about love is this. 
When the Bible says that we are dead to sin and transgression in Ephesians chapter 2, it is literally telling me to realize as much as I want to love, as much as I marry to love, because I marry because I want to love for life, for eternity, and yet I came to realize ontologically in a very realistic sense that while I desire to love, while I'm wanting to commit to love, I do not have the ability to love. I'm unable to love. Wow! Ability to love cannot begin unless you and I come to a realization where I am not able to love. That's the first step. That's where the cross of Jesus Christ comes in. We lay down our failures, our inability, and that's what he meant by giving our weaknesses to him. We are weak to a point where we are dead. We are unable. And get this. The more I try to love, the more I destroy the possibility for love. Whoa. When you come to realize that, you're like crying out to God, right? You cannot even, we can't even pray, right? We can only like cry out. I remember a time when my wife kicked me in the pants. Of course, not literally. She kicked me in the pants. So I kicked her in the pants. So she said, honey, you need to go down. You need to spend time with God. You need to get whatever you need to get from the Lord. I say, amen, praise the Lord. I say, whatever you need to get, you need to get it from the Lord. So we kick each other's pants. That's how he went in like that. <laughs> and then when I went to the Lord, and I came to realize that I'm dead. How much the dead person can do? Sometimes in the church, we are like boasting about each other. Hey, you've been dead for 10 years, but I've only been dead for three seconds. <laughs> we're all dead people, and yet we're like, like bragging, we're comparing each other. I'm better than you. At least I don't smell as much as you do. What does the dead person can do? There's only one thing that person can do. Hmm? There's one thing that person is doing. <laughs> Decaying, corrupting, molding. Not only, not only I take the possibility for love away from the other person, but I am, without me realizing it, consciously, unconsciously, destroying the possibility for love in the other person. Have mercy. How many of you say, have mercy? Have mercy. But it is in that place of inability you experience the ability of God 
enabling us what we cannot do. And therefore, what does the dead person need then? What does the dead person need? Huh? Okay, life. Then what does the dead what does the dead person what does the dead person can do? What can the dead person do to to be alive? That was my next sermon that I prepared, but I'm I'm not going to be able to preach that. What I'm going to tell you is that good news of the gospel comes not not only to the weak person. The weakness in the Bible is intrinsically connected with the idea of bondage, which is deadness, and then. It also intrinsically connected with the idea of blindness. We don't even know that we are dead. We don't even know that we are unable. When the Bible says we are powerless, when the Bible says I am powerless, which means I am unable to love. The way I know what love is, that is not love. So then I no longer can say to my wife, hey, this is the way I can love you. Either take it or leave it. I can't do that. My way of love is not the way of love. I do not know how to love. After, after five years into my marriage, after 10 years into my marriage, I came to the conclusion, even though I married her for love, I did not have what it takes to love her. And I came to realize one day, Jewel, it takes miracle of God for me to be able to love you. Sorry. She said that was the greatest day of a disappointment. <laughs> Christian life begins with death. Begins with death. Begins with inability. Begins with disappointment. Begins with despair. Have you been despaired? To a point where all you want to do is just kill yourself. Why? Why depression leads to people leads people to a place where they look at death in a different way. They look at death as an escape. They look at death as a blessing. I know this one lady. We had a funeral. I knew something was wrong. And I figured out, found out, she committed suicide. No one knew about it. Even the son didn't know about it. Guess what happened? While her daughter-in-law was gone for 10 minutes she committed suicide and then son had no idea about everybody secret not to talk about it I went to the daughter-in-law I said how long you have witnessed your mother-in-law struggling with sleeplessness. She said, oh, it's hard to tell, but I can remember at least over 10 years. From my empirical experiences, it takes 
almost 10 to 15 years of slowly, slowly dying and being exhausted to a point where body shuts down completely. Your adrenal poop out and everything shuts down, shuts down, shuts down. It takes a long time for most people because God has made us very resilient. But we cannot abuse that. We cannot abuse that. So when the depressed person comes to me, this is what I do. I sit down and can somebody do it with me? You're not depressed, but let's just do it. You come. Somebody come to you? Yeah, she comes. She's not depressed, okay? She comes to me, and then I hold her hands. First thing I say, I said, I want you to look at me eye to eyes. I said, I want you to know why you have been depressed. And this lady like, oh. And this lady like, yeah, I've been to the uh, doctor and says that my hormones are all, you know, it's all messed up. And then I went to the acupuncturist and my acupuncturist tell me it's a bad luck. <laughs> and I said, I tell you why you get depressed. Because, are you ready for this? Because you are such a genuine person. That's how you get depressed. Whoa. When I say that, this lady like, wait, let me write things down. <laughs> I am genuine. <laughs> People who are faking it, they don't get depressed. People who live superficially, they don't get depressed. According to my, according to my experience with people, there's certain personality type that is more prone, I'm not determined, more prone to depression. It is a kind of personality that are really into connecting, being intimate with people, and then get fired up for that. And people like that, people like that who get so fired up by being connected, if you appreciate them, like they, they are the one who bring the best choice of food for the potluck. While other people like forgets it, you know, you know, bring something cheap, you know, uh, and microwavable kind. But this lady like goes all out and bring things. And when they look at what other people bring, like this is the end time. Jesus is coming soon, you know. <laughs> she goes all out, all out, all out. And then it is hard for her to get the kind of emotional connection and the spiritual nutrients the way she desires and wants in a superficial world around us. And she starts dying and dying, decaying and decaying, decaying, and coming to a place where she basically gave up. It is the genuine people. I love those who are struggling with depression, not because of depression they have, but because of the genuine, genuineness that they bring to the table of life. They search for meaning of life. So 
If you're depressed, don't be ashamed about it. It has nothing to do with your faith and all that, you know? Sometimes the hormonal thing, I, I told you here, who gets depressed? I wrote, I wrote things down. Who gets depressed? Genuine people, number one. And then also, spiritually proud to be open, <laughs> then you get depressed. In other words, you get isolated. You don't want to share. You're in your own isolation. Hey, then that is prone you to be depressed. And then private, extremely caring people. Oh, wow. These are the people, these are the people who doesn't eat potluck until they make sure everyone gets their food. And if there's any leftover, then they take their turns. They are the one who gets depressed. People pleaser gets depressed because they don't know what to say no, and in the end, they get exhausted. And then they work so hard and end up being the irresponsible one. And then they say yes to something that they shouldn't say no, and they should say no, and then they come home, they're mourning about it, they go mourn about it, and they're like, why did that person ask me to, you know, force me to do that? I should have said no, but I said yes, now I am obligated, bondage. I hate life. I hate Sabbath. <laughs> I want to die. And then your husband is out there. I told you not to do that. I told you. I told you. You don't listen to me. Yeah, right. I'm a loser. I'm a bummer, you know. I bring too much misery to the family. I better be gone and no one will miss me. Have mercy on those ladies. This is one thing that's Big time missing in Christian circle. When somebody gets depressed, last thing pastor can do, oh, my dear elder, deacon, deaconess, you know, where's your faith? <laughs> if you believe in Jesus, you will have no depression. Yep. Did Jesus have depression? Whoa, don't compare ourselves with Jesus. Don't do that. Don't quote scriptures. Don't open the Bible and start like trying to sermonize. To the depressed person, they're already feeling not only bad, they almost come to a point where they want to end their lives. They're more than miserable. Can you imagine not gaining the sleep that you need for more than 10 years, 15 years, mm -hmm. and still serving. So whenever the depressed patient comes, I'm like, bow down to them. You serve. You serve too much. You serve to a point where you even give up your liver all the organs of your body. You already given up. You donated them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. One thing that I focus so much to those who are depressed, 
is allowing them to address the issue of nutrition. Do you know that when you do not have enough nutrition, you get depressed? Women are more prone to depression than men in general, right? Why? Because women have like, I, I'm not a doctor, but women have more than like 40 different, I heard, hormones that they need. To produce a child, they need all kinds of hormones. They need, they need so much. And yet what? When you have kids, what happens? They take away everything. They take away your bone, your calcium, and everything's gone. And no wonder later years, like your bone is like hollow inside. Have mercy. Have mercy. Right? And therefore, nutrition is very, very important, especially in Seventh-day Adventist Church. I am not against of vegetarianism. And I know you're watching me, what I'm about to say next. You go to the medical doctor and they say, you got to eat meat and all that. I'm not going to get into that argument. But one thing I want to tell you is that there is no nutrition even in the vegetables that we eat. So it has to be, in my opinion, to get the nutrients that you need from food, it has to be organic. You know why I know? Is that for the past two years, for the past one years, my wife started to eat organic vegetables for the past two years. Coming to Michigan, it was really hard for the winter. But anyway, we were able to find organic uh, whole food, or you know, whole food is expensive, but I, t I tell you, Eating organic and be healthy is much cost effective than being sick and then, you know, spend all your money in the hospital, right? And so, so make sure that I'm just sharing my experience, get organic. Organic vegetables, organic carrots are amazing, amazing, amazing. Beets are amazing. All those vegetables, all different colors, as raw as you can get. Some of it can be steamed a little bit and make sure you get, the, you get the nutrients that you need, and also making sure that you get, the, uh, you get enough uh, proteins through beans and other things that you need. If you're vegetarian, you know, make sure you get all that you need from the nutrients, because if you look at 1 Kings chapter 18, when, when, uh, you know, when uh, who is that, uh, Elijah, Elijah ended up, after conquering the, the enemy, you know, at the Mount Carmel, right? You know, he killed all of his enemies and so forth. And then he all of a sudden became very afraid of what? Jezebel. Yeah, women are very fearsome person, people, you know. So you know, this, this prophet of God became very fearful of this Jezebel. And then he found himself sitting underneath a tree called Rodan tree. And then he was like, Lord, please take me away. Kill me. In other words, what happened was that after exhausting his energy on the fight, once in a lifetime fight, he became totally exhausted and depleted. 
I mean, it was after he was running and all that. And so then he was just drained out. Even the prophet Elijah became depressed. Praise the Lord. And guess what angel did? Guess what angel did? You know the story, right? Angel came, angel came, and then let him sleep. What, what the people with depression needs is lots of rest. But I'm going to tell you how to rest. It's not that easy. And so angel of the Lord came and then let him rest, feed him cake, some sort of like cake, <laughs> rice cake or bread or whatever, and then with water. So new start, new start program right there. <laughs> and then after the angel of the Lord came and then baked something, can you imagine? Angel of the Lord came and cooked. If angels cook, we better cook too. <laughs> you know. And so the, so the angels cooked and then fed him some stuff and then fed him and then he was fed and then he was so tired, so exhausted, he went back to sleep again. He did that twice, feeding him again, nurture him. That's what we need to do with people with depression. They need to be nourished and they need to be nurtured. I don't have time to go into all the details. Vegetables are important. Apples, you know, the fruits are important. Juicing are important. They need all the nutrients they need to get. And then, um, let me just go through this quickly. And then another thing that they need, not only they need all the nutrients in their lives. Oh, this is what's interesting. A lot of the depressed patients they end up coming to me and said, I don't know why they're coming to me. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Okay. And they said, they come to me and they're getting help. Amen. And they said, they said this, Pastor, I eat and eat and eat and yet my brain is hungry. Mm. Interesting. Your brain needs certain things to be satisfied. I just learned from my, uh, uh, the herb doctor that in your brain, you, your nerve system in your brain also need nutrients in order for us to be free from anxiety. Whoa. It is not just emotional stuff. That's why nutrition is so important. And then the, my herb doctor tells me that there is a herb that can help you with the nerve mm -hmm. to be strengthened. I have nothing to do with this herb doctor, but there's an amazing herb doctor in uh, Barron Springs. His name is Dr. Lee. He just opened up his place because his wife could not sleep for a long time. I tell you, even in my family, my wife could not sleep. She came to a point, she became so exhausted. Do you know that you need, to you need to have energy to sleep? If you don't have energy, you can't sleep. If you're too hungry, you can't sleep. If your brain is hungry, something is missing, and you're like wobbly, you're like uncertain, and you're like anxious, and then you're nerve-wracked, and then your muscles are tensed, and that's another issue. A lot of people with muscle tenseness, they can't sleep. They need... They need stretching. They need exercise. They need breathing. And then we try all kinds of things. One time I, I, I heard that, you know what, my wife needing to sleep and she couldn't sleep. 
You know, falling asleep is an automatic thing. The way you sleep is like this, if I understand it simply. Your body creates serotonin. Your brain creates serotonin in the morning from after 10 o'clock in the morning. You go out, see the sunshine, serotonin comes in. You look at each other, be happy, serotonin comes in. You eat the food that you want and like, and serotonin comes in. Okay, you hear the word of God, serotonin comes in, right? So when you create serotonin in the morning, during the daytime, amazing thing happens in the evening, that serotonin turns into melatonin, and that melatonin kicks in the sleep cycle. It's an automatic switch. And that's why they even have an herb that, that deals with, you know, uh, the, the melatonin as well and all that. But it's God's idea for us to be happy and joyous and be thankful and grateful and gracious all day long. And then at the end of the day, you're like, what? <sighs> but when you try to sleep, you can't sleep. You stay awake. Looking at the ceiling, stay till 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and get up at 1 o'clock and break the sleep cycle. That's when the liver gets, you know, restored and all that. You lose all that. And so you know what we did? I heard that, you know what? If you dig the ground, it is so tiring that you will fall asleep. So behind our house, there is a hill. My wife and I, we were doing homeschooling, all the kids and us. We started to like dig. Joel, let's dig. <laughs> we dug to a point that we ended up making a big patio and whole mountain was ready to fall down. <laughs> and she was still could not sleep. And one of the missing link was nutrition. Another missing link was her relationship with me. When you harbor anger and resentment, bitterness and all that, you get triggered, you can't sleep. Another interesting element that we needed was changing the environment. Funny thing was that when I took her to vacation to uh, Florida, we went out to the water having fun, and then she was sleeping. <laughs> wow, change of environment. Another thing that we needed in our uh, life in order to restore our health, especially for her, was to have that meaningful, not only meaningful relationship with each other, but also have fun in our lives. I'm a very fun-loving person, as you can tell. <laughs> but funny thing happened. When I came back, came from Korea, I said to myself, I had too much fun up to college. And I, I need to study to be a pastor. I, I'm like an empty can. I barely graduated, and I said, when I come to the United States, I used to be a great singer, so I said, when I come to the United States, I gave up singing, I gave up fun, I gave up everything, and then guess what happened? I dated my girl, and she liked me because she thought I was so much fun while we, while we were dating. But after we got married, I said, okay, now fun had, it, you know, had its purpose. Now 
I need to go back to my work. It is like shooting the ball, go in, and then, okay, you stay home, and I go out. And then she said, hey, I married you for fun, but you no longer are funny. Hey, honey, life is serious, you know, Jesus is coming, you know. <laughs> and then she said, I grew up, I grew up not having enough fun in my life. I need to have fun. And I said, honey, you should have met me when I was in college. <laughs> but then little did I know that I'm going to end with this. Little did I know that my wife was called by God to be with me, to be a blessing. Why? Because I needed the fun in my life as well because I was trying to go 100 miles an hour. And so I mentioned it all here, nutrition, Laughter, fun, sense of humor, natural remedy, herbs are powerful. And then number eight, spiritual nutrients. We need to find meaning and direction in our lives to be restored, to gain our health that God has given us. Amen? Spiritual. Amen? Spiritually, spiritually, the fact that we are spiritual, meaning that we're searching for meaning, our meaning has to do to love and to be loved, and our direction has to do with what? Has to do with finding the sense of direction that God would want us to have, which is kind of a transcendent purpose in our lives. We all need that in our lives to be fulfilled spiritually, and this is an important part of what? Restoring depression. Restoring healing in our lives. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So let's end here. I know you've endured me so long, and uh, I only got to finish this, and then I didn't get to finish the other one, but um, that one, hopefully, we'll do that some other time. Hopefully, we will have a chance. It's about grace, but uh, you have not missed much, okay? And, and uh, thank you for coming. Thanks for joining me. What was that herb that, you, that your Dr. Lee suggested? You need to talk to Dr. Lee. Yeah, I don't have any business relationship with him, but, you know, yeah, talk to Dr. Lee, and he will help us. Hey, can you do this for me before we go? Um, would you be able to write your name and your information uh, on, your, on the forms that I'm passing out? And I'm trying to create a community of people who can come and, you know, just continue this journey of healing and all that in the name of family discipleship and whatnot. We have a center. We can have about 40 people in there. I'm, I'm trying to work with the conference to see what can be done. I'm just wanting to support and be of help. And so please write down your information so that when we do project like that, you know, you'll be included. And then secondly, I want to tell you that it's not out of my own ambition but I just want to be out there to serve people in a way that I want to create a community of people uh, and with whom we can come together and serve God, bringing healing in the lives of people. Not only you come to the meeting, but I want you to be my allies. I want you to team up with you. I want to create a team of people whom we can do things. And I met this you know, wonderful lady. What is your name? Rosemary, I met this Rosemary, she majored in English and she taught, you know, English and all that. And she said, hey, I saw some typo and all that. I can help you uh, to do that. And I said, hey, you're going to be my editor from now on, you know. 
yeah, and I hope she charges a lot from me, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. So I want to team up with you guys because there's so much brokenness. And if you have learned something from our experience being here together, we only touch the surface of it, as you can tell, right? Even talking about one aspect takes a lot to talk about, you know? And so I, I really want to create a teamwork together. And so write your information down if you're interested in creating a teamwork together, let me know what you can do, okay? So that we can come together uh, to, to do great things for God. Amen. Okay, let's finish. Let's finish with prayer. Dear God, uh, we only shared what we could share, but it doesn't really do justice as to the healing that you can only provide for each and every one of us. You create us to be spiritual people, and so you help us uh, to really gain the real meaning of life and the direction that we need in our lives in a way that our marriage and our relationship as a family to be a channel of healing and restoration in our lives so much so that in this world of brokenness we can be an agent of healing in the lives of other people and may you continue to bless each and every one of our courageous journey toward greater learning and healing and growth and maturity in the power of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.